Subramanya is a correspondent for the Free Press, and her last article, she's written Trudeau's Battle Against a Free Internet, which is something that we definitely want to talk to. And Rupa has a new piece mm-hmm. out that really caught our attention called Is Justice Still Blind in Canada? Equality under the law is the cornerstone of liberal democracy, but judges across the country are now factoring race into sentencing. Rupa, we're so happy to have you on public. Well, it's great to be uh, with you, uh, Michael. And, uh, you know, I, I'm really glad to be here and I'm looking forward to our discussion. Rupa, why don't we do, you want to do a little introduction for our listeners of who you are? You're, people know, now know you're Canadian and you're a journalist, but tell us a little bit about your your background and, and how you arrived at this place. Um, okay, well, uh, a little bit about uh, me. I'm, um, uh, you know, I'm originally from India. I lived there uh, for part of my childhood and then uh, then finished high school in, uh, in the UAE and then came to Canada when I was uh, 18 uh, did, uh, to pursue um, a college education. So I went to university here. Um, and, um, you know, I, then I went to grad school after, and, uh, shortly after that, I decided, and this was uh, just, uh, shortly after the financial crisis, um, I felt that, uh, things were still, uh, pretty good in, uh, in, in the emerging market, uh, in, in, in emerging markets like India and China. So, so I went to India, which is where I'm originally from, as I mentioned, and I spent, uh, nearly a decade in India, um, um, writing. And, uh, so I started writing for the wall street journal and then I did some column writing for the foreign policy and a bunch of other publications. Uh, I spent 10 years, almost a decade there. And then I returned to Canada in uh, 2019 and uh, began writing for the national post. And of course, uh, I now write full time for, uh, Barry Wise's, uh, the free press. And, um, I, uh, she, um, uh, approached me uh, when the truckers' protest was happening right here in Ottawa, just literally, just right outside, uh, you know, my my building, <laughs> um, and wow. uh, and you know, I was just tweeting about it, and I just went walking around, and um, and there was something really odd about how the mainstream media was portraying uh, the protest. You know, they were. Um, uh, you, you know, they were calling it a white supremacist movement, it was a far right movement and so on and so forth. And uh, so I, I went walking and the, it was bitterly cold. It's in Jan- it was in January. I don't know if you've got if you guys have been to Ottawa, but it's extremely cold here in January. And here were these protesters um, uh, extremely resilient and very determined to uh, uh, to, you know, uh, uh, you know, in, in protesting government overreach, which which is essentially what this was about. Uh, and there was a lot of that during the pandemic uh, in Canada, more than anywhere else, I think, in the world. Um, and uh, and that, so it came to a point where people just were tired of it. And, uh, and so they came to Ottawa and started protesting. Um, and I walked around, uh, I would walk eight, 10 hours every day. And, uh, and I would look for all of the bad stuff that the mainstream media was was claiming they had discovered. And I just found just the most amazing people. You know, they were just uh, 
average Canadians um, uh, who, had, who who felt ignored uh, during the pandemic, and uh, and and they were just uh, incredibly nice people, and I didn't find any of the bad stuff. Um, and um, and then I wrote a story for Barry. Uh, she saw my tweets and she said, uh, invited me to write. And uh, I had no idea the impact that it would have. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, the story essentially, um, I, you know, I was, I was uh, uh, being contacted by people in Tokyo, for example, saying how much they loved uh, the story and, and that I was able to bring a different perspective. And, uh, and they were, grateful for that, um, as were uh, uh, many, many Canadians who uh, just, uh, you know, there was this outpouring of emotion. They couldn't believe that there was actually someone out there who was telling their story, and I'd never experienced anything like that. Um, and so, yeah, and now I uh, write full-time for Barry Weiss and uh, uh, for, for the free press, and, uh, and, um, and uh, it's, been, it's been a great ride so far. Can I ask you, I wonder if it's the same in, in Canada as it would be in the United States when you started, mm-hmm. first of all, when you wrote a piece that was sympathetic to the truckers and second of all, when you started working for Barry Weiss, did you face like mm-hmm. social ostracism from your former colleagues in the media? Oh, absolutely. Um, um, you know, I, 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 until that point, you know, I was, I was really mostly doing column writing and I was often see seen as a small C conservative, which would not be that, you know, that that's not, that's, that, that, that wouldn't be um, a wrong conclusion. And, uh, and, and, but, you know, I was the right kind of conservative in, 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 in a sense. So, you know, I would get invited to these, um, a conservative that they would, they could have a conversation with, mm-hmm. but I um, crossed the Rubicon with the truckers protest and uh, overnight, all of, all of my invites to, for example, the state-owned uh, media, the CBC, um, you know, I used to be a regular uh, on the CBC. The invites just stopped shortly after that. Um, and, and wow. you know, and the same with other legacy media establishments. Um, and it was very clear that uh, people didn't, uh, you know, I wasn't saying anything outrageous. I was just... Uh, pointing to the uh, facts and then I didn't necessarily agree with all of the, uh, um, you know, with everything that the protesters were saying Um, uh, at that time I was triple vaccinated. And um, so, you know, I was very much uh, in favor of uh, uh, vaccines, although my views on vaccine mandates had, uh, you know, dramatically changed in just a couple of months and um and you know i was against them so but you know i didn't agree with everything that they were saying but i was just presenting things as i saw them and uh, and that was a bit much for uh, many many uh, journalists i think in canada you know people who once would um you know say hello to me uh would look the other way when they saw <laughs> me in public so uh, i was all very childish and juvenile but i'm kind of used to that kind of uh, um uh Kind of thing because you know I've I, I you know I've faced this um, you know during the course of uh, the many years that I've been writing that uh, you know when you stick your neck out and you um, you know and you or you call it as you see it and or you go against um, you know a narrative uh, an establishment narrative or uh, you know you 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 know you're often ostracized for that and so um, I just didn't think that you know it would be as bad here. I thought, I mistakenly thought maybe naively that, uh, 
people here were a little more open-minded, a little more tolerant towards other people's views. But uh, in the eight or t- 10 years that I was away from Canada, I returned to a country that was incredibly polarized um, mm-hmm. and uh, had become so uh, while I was away, while I, you know, while I kept track of what was going on here, but I was now actually at the heart of all of it. And, um, and it was, uh, yeah, it, I definitely uh, was ostracized and unfriended and uninvited. Was was joining up with Barry a second Rubicon or is she not as notorious in Canada as she is among American? Uh, no, she, she is. That was a second Rubicon. Yeah, I, I've had several Rubicons over the course <laughs> of my writing. Uh, um, and this was definitely one of them. Uh, and like I said, you know, it, it doesn't really bother me. I, you know, it's just how things are uh, these days. Yeah. And Rupa, tell yeah. us before we get to the this, the your latest story, t- talk us through the. You were one of the first people also to, to as well to study the the Cana- the Canada C eleven censorship legislation. Right. Can you, can you talk us through? Uh, well, that piece of legislation, but maybe more broadly, like what is Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, doing? You may know that we've been writing recently as well about this crackdown on free speech around the world, which is going on in very similar ways in a bunch of different Western countries, including Brazil. Talk, tell us what's happening exactly. Like, where, when does it start, and and where are we at in it in Canada? Okay, so Bill C eleven has now passed. Um, it's called the uh, it's it's the online censorship bill, um, and uh, it, it, that's really what it is. And uh, it it passed as law, I think, a couple of weeks ago. So when I wrote the story for Barry Wise, it was still being debated in the Senate, and it hadn't yet become law. Um, but uh, essentially, what this 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 is about is that. Um, it, it 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 seeks to protect Canadian culture, um, and uh, and and by by uh, expect by getting uh, online streaming uh, platforms like YouTube and Netflix and TikTok uh, uh, and so on and so forth to get these uh, platforms to prioritize uh, Canadian content um, now. And and the and what is Canadian content? Well, that's going to be decided by the regulator, um, and uh, and so it's just a really terrible uh, thing uh, to happen. Um, um, you know, the funny thing about this uh, law now is that uh, you know when it was bill when it was a bill. Um, a lot of the dissent actually came from uh, folks on the left. Uh, prominent artists like Margaret Atwood, for example, uh, spoke out against it as a form of censorship. Um, many many uh, content creators see it as a sop to legacy media. Um, you know, one thing that uh, that I should note is that our airwaves are, for example, are heavily regulated, uh, and they're basically monopolies. Um, and foreign investment in these things is just not allowed. Um, you know, we literally have two or three big media companies here, uh, and then you have the state-owned broadcaster, the CBC, uh, and none of these legacy platforms are really doing that well because most Canadians get uh, great content on the internet uh, that, uh, from the U.S. and elsewhere. Um, so, um, so you know, this is so, so. What this law will do is that it it's it's basically the government through its leg- regulator will put its hands on the scales and tell media companies like. Um, YouTube and TikTok, uh, you know, that your algorithms must promote Canadian content and we decide what is Canadian. 
Um, and who is this? I mean, it's obviously an effort to for the state to be able to control speech or at least visibility yeah. into speech. But who is it a sop to anybody like in the industry? Is the CBC any of these institutions is going to that presumably will benefit from this lobbying for this bill? Or is it coming? Well, from, yes. I mean, I think that's. No, it is. It is. It it's 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 the government's. Uh, I mean, it's it's now law. It's a bill that they they um, um, you know introduced um, uh, the, the Trudeau government, mm-hmm. and uh, and the conservatives, the opposition conservatives, uh, really fought against many of these um, the many of the provisions in the bill that would amount to online censorship and uh, government overreach uh, by the regulator. Uh, but uh, but most of them were just ignored and they just rammed this through parliament and it passed. Um, it, you know, as I mentioned to you, yes, I mean, it's going to be the legacy media establishment that hugely benefits from this. But, and the biggest losers in all of this are Canadian content creators. So, you know, the uh, example that I cite in my uh, story for the free press on Bill C-11 is uh, Justin Bieber. Um, He was discovered uh, because his mother would uh, post videos on YouTube and his videos on YouTube. And uh, and then he was just discovered shortly after that. Um, What this law will now do is, um, you know, when you prioritize the way this algorithm works is that when you prioritize Canadian content, uh, people in overseas markets just, you know, are not interested in that, you know, they, you know, they're not going to click, click on that. And so they're going to go to some other content. So it actually ends up uh, deprioritizing Canadian content, ironically. Um, and uh, and so the question is, you know, where, you know, what's going to happen? I mean, are there going to be, um, you know, future such discoveries like Justin Bieber. Um, and uh, But, you know, you have to see this in the context of uh, government overreach. There's another bill called Bill C-18. It, it expects um, uh, uh, companies like Facebook um, and uh, Google, I think, to pay for um, uh, news um, um, or something to that effect. Uh, but all of this point, you know, it, you know, all of this points in one direction. Um, there's an there's an attempt by this government to control as much as possible, and uh, and and you know, and there is definitely um, uh, you know, th- there's a sense that is that that it's happening in a big way. I think what's so interesting about the Canadian case is that it seems like this is clearly a way to promote content the government can control over content the government can't control at the simplest level. And yet they're selling it as though like Canadian content is somehow being persecuted in China. Like, um, and I believe if I read correctly that it already gets like significantly, uh, that Canada is already like a huge government financing of media. So it's not like Canadian media are like underinvested in relative to like, oh, say NPR in the United States or maybe even BBC. Right. That's very similar mm-hmm. to what we're seeing around the world. We're basically fake. The big one is also the hate speech. And I'm curious if this has come up in yeah. Canada where we have a lot of hype. People are claiming an increase of hate speech. There's increased reports of that and of, yeah. hate, and of hate incidents. But none of us that look at it think that there's any reason to think there really was an actual increase rather than just an increase of reports. 
So it seems like what you're getting is the censorship industrial complex, the the government agencies, the woke NGOs and nonprofits demanding greater censorship and having to basically fabricate, pardon my French, bullshit reasons for why to censor or why to promote uh, domestic yeah. content in the case of Canada. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's definitely um, a move towards, um, um, you know, um, defining hate speech, misinformation, disinformation, uh, uh, practically anything that the uh, that the establishment disagrees with is misinformation, disinformation. I'll give you um, an example of this. I happen to be on a list uh, um, of uh handles in Canada that uh, promote misinformation, uh, disinformation regarding the conflict in uh, Russia. Uh, now, um, this, this is that? a report. This was a report that was authored by a professor at the University of Calgary, and he, his outfit gets um, tons of money from the Department of Defense. Um, so, you know, the government um, funds it uh, quite substantially. Um, and this is based on some algorithm from uh, shortly after the war broke out. Um, you know, I was uh, retweeting Glenn Greenwald or I was pointing to the Azov Battalion uh, saying that they have neo-Nazi um, uh, uh, affiliations and that the Canadian government uh, actually has trained uh, the Azov Battalion. And this was, was pointing to news stories from Canada, from like the newspaper record, record uh, the Globe and Mail. And uh, for those tweets, and I my tweets didn't last for more than three weeks, and then I just lost interest in the war and I just moved on to something else. But that was enough for this professor to uh, uh, say that I was promoting Russian, Russian disinformation. And uh, along with uh, Tulsi Gabbard and... Um, uh, Glenn Greenwald and, um, wow. you know, and a few other people. And um, now he and he defines disinformation uh, in a very specific way. Uh, anything that questions the integrity of uh, uh the office of the prime minister, anything that in, uh, questions the integrity of uh, 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 institutions in Canada, our democratic institutions. I'm not joking. This is this is this is the this, these are some, some of any political dissent is yeah, any 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 political dissent. So uh, and it's quite scary because you know I um, you know I'm, I'm an independent voice here and uh, and this was even before any of my work for uh, this was after the truckers protest and before I uh, became full time with uh, the free press. Um, you know, I was very much just a, a freelancer and for me to just, you know, and then I find myself on this list, I initially ignored it and I said, you know, who's going to read this report? But uh, but then uh, some opposition parties started uh, uh, raising the report uh, in, in Parliament saying that the government needs to take this report seriously. Uh, you know, here I am sitting here in Ottawa and I'm thinking, you know, I'm worried, like, you know, what if they, um, you know, I'm on this list and what if they, you know, they can, they can concoct anything, you know, they went after people during the truckers protest, they went after people who donated $50 towards the, their, the cause and froze their bank accounts. Mm -hmm. So anything is possible at this point. 
And um, so, you know, but uh, but this is this is where we are. I mean, it's 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 starting to happen. Uh, you have uh, government funds these this kind of research. You have academics who are fully on board with this kind of uh, um, uh, the, the, this sort of McCarthyism. And uh, and and um, and, you know, and, and, and in the end, you know, uh, you know, people like me are just caught in the crossfire. We've reached the end of this episode of the free version of Publix Podcast. To access the full version, become a paying subscriber at public.substack.com.